welcome to Sunday on the Pod with Casey, Flo, and Rosa. There's a bit of a pause there, Casey. That was. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh God, I, forgot my name. I, I forgot my name for a second. <laughs> I was like, the they have left the call. They've left the call. <laughs> welcome back, everyone. It's episode three. Episode I can't believe it. Three. Here we are. Well. Whether or not you're hearing us in the morning or the evening, welcome to Sunday on the Pod. If you don't already know, it's a podcast all about musical theatre. And if you don't know, where have you been? Um, this podcast, don't worry, it's not just for performers, it's for anybody, anybody out there who may love musical theatre. Of course, we have our favourite musicals, um, but each episode will be covering a different musical. So each episode will be picking apart the brief history of the show picking apart the songs lyrically, musically, delving into any juicy gossip from past productions, maybe future productions, possibly pending, um, putting on our very own casting director's hats. This is actually my favourite bit, where we get to do our own fantasy casting with our magic generator. And then for the finale of all finales, we have a gorgeous performer who will be coming on to the show and we'll have a brief little interview with them, talking about the show and what their favourite song is, and just about a bit, just a bit about them as well. Um, and also, after the episode is dropped, we would love you to give a listen to our Sunday on the Podcast album, which will be including that lovely guest performer with their very own rendition from the show. So what are you waiting for? Sit back. And enjoy the pod. We have had such great feedback so far on our first two episodes, West Side Story and Waitress, both available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So please do keep sending us your thoughts on the episodes and shows. And we would also really appreciate it if you rated <laughs> and reviewed us on whatever platform you listen to. It helps us reach a little bit more people and build up our little Sunday on the Pod community. Um, just a reminder as well that you can keep up with us on socials we're at sunday on the pod on insta and twitter and you can find us on our facebook page which is just sunday on the pod we also uh just did a very successful quiz on the old uh sunday on the pod insta um <laughs> and the winner even gets a prize so do look out for that we'll be doing those monthly um and they're pretty hard quizzes so if you think you think you know musicals come and come and take it on do we know what the prize is um, or is it a mystery well, yeah, I mean, it's whatever I can send by email. <laughs> so, um, our winner was Megan McCann um, last time, and she got a £10 Beauty Bay voucher. So, oh, you wow. know, guys, it's, it's, it's pretty cool stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so how are we all? Yeah, good. Good. I mean, recording this on a Thursday is uh, feels like we're getting really close to the weekend, which is good. Yeah, yeah, really looking forward to time off, relax, listen to the pod. Obviously, on a Sunday. Looking forward to all our multiple bank holidays as well coming up. I do. Looking forward to that. Friday weekend. Ideal. Oh my god! I feel like I'd work better with a four-day week, personally. (laughs) (laughs) I think it should be law. I would. I know. I actually have a lot of friends that are now at like firms that do four day weeks, and I'm like, oh, I wish I could be you. Just the the week is so much <laughs> better without Monday. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, would you do it? Actually, yeah, that's true. How would you do your four day week? Would you do Monday, Tuesday? Would you work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or would you work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? Ooh, 
the second option tuesday yeah, to tuesday. friday yeah because friday is like oh it's friday like you kind yeah. of feel happy excited everyone's in a good mood because the next day saturday you know yeah, but that would be your thursday that's true but then there's almost like a good vibe on a friday isn't it it's kind of like a everyone kind of is, is kicking back relaxing on a friday night yeah, yeah. tgif <laughs> we actually do beer and pizza at my work on a Thursday so I think I'd be doing the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday because what always happens is I do like a just like a beer and a pizza at my work and then I come home and I'm like right who wants to go for a drink always every time and then I'm like no I've got to be in work on Friday I've got to make money I've got to make money because <laughs> I've got a cat that I need to send to college <laughs> In case you don't know, uh, Rose's cat is called Liza Minnelli. Ms. Liza Minnelli, yes. Our yeah. little mascot. Oh my god, our little podcat. Pod- oh my god, that's genius. Yeah, podcat. Podcat, baby. Oh my gosh. I love that. Can we I copyright she- that right now? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, she is very cute, Liza Minnelli, but she is also not the cleverest, so... <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. No, she's like, I love her so much. She's the best thing in my life. But there's like some, I was looking at her today when I was on my lunch and I was like, there's just nothing going on. Oh dear. Not a single thing going on. But she's so happy. I, do you know what I mean? I've got her so many toys. Like she has, she has a ridiculous amount of toys. Her favorite thing to play with is a bit of string in our garden. You know what though? I actually feel like that's everyone's cat because my sister, she has a cat and they've got multiple toys. They actually got uh, the, the cat Christmas presents. And he still plays with a little toilet roll piece of paper. <laughs> Honestly, he's not interested. So I think it's all cats. Oh, bless him. Toilet, yeah, that's annoying. When they, when they like, do the thing with the toilet roll. Yeah. That's, oh, my God. <laughs> and I'm also like, cost of living crisis, babe. Toilet rolls are really expensive. Be though. considerate. They Be are, considerate. <laughs> Yeah, have you seen that thing on TikTok where it's like you can multi buy toilet roll? Because I just find that absolutely hilarious. Yeah, they're selling like a hundred toilet rolls. <laughs> yeah. Oh and my god! You and very seriously, my cousin that I live with was like to me the other day, like, "Oh, we should do that." And I was like, "I'm not TikTok shop buying <laughs> toilet roll. Like, I'm not doing that." <laughs> my god, where 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 would you store it? I know <laughs> exactly. Like, do you like our new coffee table? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's so good (laughs) so our musical this week is drum roll please calamity jane i calamity jane has always been a bit of a bit of a love of mine i the first time i ever watched calamity jane was when I was like 16 that the choir I was with went to Disneyland and we like performed at Disneyland <laughs> Paris it's like That's I think it's so like, random I know but like loads of people do it like I think like that's a bougie choir trip I know it was good I think like you can apply for it um, wow yeah I'm doing my life all wrong I need to be back yeah. in choir <laughs> <laughs> Melody Movers was yeah. the name of the choir still have the jumper my choir, my childhood choir performed in Manchester Armdale. So. Ooh, wow. <laughs> Not quite Disneyland Paris, but you know. Well, I don't like to toot my own trumpet, but I was actually head of choir at school. So just yeah. saying. Well, I'm just going to let that settle for a bit. <laughs> what, what, what does a head of choir do? 
It means I got a bike, but that's about it. What do you mean you got a bike? Why do you need a bike? <laughs> what, what does it? What does a I got a bike to ride to choir? From who? <laughs> well, obviously, obviously from. <laughs> This is so weird out of context. So the school I went to was quite a big campus. So to walk would take you like at least 15 minutes to get to choir. Like <laughs> on the school. <laughs> it, yeah, but yeah, but when you're 16, you're like, oh my God. Anyway, when when I got um head of choir, it meant that I could get a bike and I could basically be there in about two minutes. So I'd be like, snooze you lose. <laughs> Sorry, did you go to school on the set of Call the Midwife? <laughs> <laughs> That is absolutely hilarious. I'm also trying to picture a school bougie enough to have a 15-minute walk between buildings. Yeah. yeah, it was actually, it was so long that they actually called the walk between, like, um, between the house and school, long walk, because it was that long. It was I mean, just like a long strip. Not particularly inventive from uh, yeah, I know. school there. That is so good. <laughs> Did you wear a hat? Absolutely not. I was too cool. I was 16. I didn't care about off. <laughs> Oh my god, that's so good! Well, oh we did not have a bike when we went to Disneyland Paris, but we did <laughs> on the uh, on the bus ride home. We did watch Calamity Jane. My, oh my gosh! And that, and, and that was the first time you watched it. I don't think it was. I think it was like the first time I watched it when I was like an a like a well not an adult. I was sixteen, but like I don't know, as a fully fledged human being, I do mm-hmm. have a distinct memory of like my granddad really loved Calamity Jane. So he used to watch it all the time, but I was like four and not paying attention to to Dorothy. Whip crack away. Whip crack away. Yeah. <laughs> I watched it. I watched it because my um my nan is a big she's such a big musicals lover, secretly. Um and she used to watch Calamity Jane and I remember watching it for the first time with my nan and like falling in love with it when I was about eleven or twelve. So that was the first time I watched oh. it. And it, it always seemed to be on like channel four at Easter. I think, yeah, I think they, they must have just bought a whole host of those kind of, like, golden age Hollywood, like, MGM productions, you know what I think? Yeah, mm-hmm. Like, Annie Get Your Gun used to be on a lot, like, when I was yeah. younger. Yeah, that's another one. I also just realised that when you asked about the hat, it wasn't me wearing a hat on my bike, it was me wearing a hat for choir, right? Or was it yeah, for like, me for the bike? Just like a little <laughs> Call the Midwife hat, because they were, they're, that's what always got me about Call the Midwife is like they're like it's a medical emergency like oh my god betty lane is like giving birth right now you need to go to her house and then they're spending ages putting on like this hat with a ribbon <laughs> on their bike i'm like well, guys we, can we have it's a, a medical emergency, emergency. <laughs> please <laughs> so calamity jane it's a pretty good title but who was the real calamity jane well, the titular character Jane is actually based on a real person called Martha Jane Cannery, which I will say, Martha, I think, is a better name than Jane, but we move. Yeah. I wonder why she chose Jane or why the, whoever wow. chose Jane. Oh. Maybe, maybe we're about to find out. We're about to find out. <laughs> <laughs> um, Martha Jane Cannery was an American frontierswoman, sharpshooter, dancehall girl and sex worker. 
Martha was born in 1852 in Mercer County, Missouri, the eldest of six children. The family later moved to Piedmont, Wyoming, and Martha, age 14, began to work any job she could get to help support her family as her father had died the year before. Among some of the many, many jobs she held was a dishwasher, a cook, a waitress, a dancehall girl, a nurse, and, never going to get this one, an ox team driver. Oh my god. No idea. I mean, I know what an ox is. I don't know why there's a team of them, and I don't know why they need driven. Imagine having that on your CV today. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Be like, where did you get all these qualifications from? <laughs> I was an ox team driver. <laughs> Surely riding the ox would be better, no? Yeah, than driving it. I do, it's the word drive like, yeah. that's getting me about this. What's the, uh, what's the weirdest job you ever had? All my jobs have been pretty standard, really. I mean, I've had weird, yeah, jobs, with it, weird jobs within the job. Um, okay, okay. I, work, I worked in a cinema, and my o- official title was cinema host. Oh. Um but that also apparently involved going into the screens and cleaning up children's vomit. Oh, oh god. Oh yeah, my that's god, that's that awful. So I could I, I could not do that. Yeah, me either. I didn't. <laughs> Just quit. <laughs> Flo, what was your strangest job? Honestly, I can't think what my strangest job was. I mean, I guess head of choir. I guess that counts yeah, as a strange job. I mean, what was the point of the job? Did you keep the, the gals the in line? The, the, the gals in line. Did you keep the bike? No, sadly the bike actually rusted. I love that it's all coming back to the bike. Um, I think it literally just, it, honestly, it just meant that I had a bike. That was it. That was the job. That's absolutely hilarious. I know. That was the power I had. <laughs> that was the power that you had. Yeah. I don't think I've had like any super weird jobs, but I definitely have, I think like same as you, Casey, been like had days at my job where I'm like, what am I what on earth am I doing here, like, right now? So it is believed that age 20 in 1874 that she began sex work at Fort Laramie Three Mile Hog Ranch, which, say that three times fast. Uh, Martha, or Calamity <laughs> Jane, as she would come to be known by, uh, became famous because of her involvement with military campaigns against Native Americans in the Great Plains. So it's worth stopping here just to acknowledge the more problematic aspects of the musical and movie. Albeit a fairly minor plot point within the show, it is of course set in the Dakota Territory in the 1870s and depicts Jane and the rest of the Deadwood Stages military fighting against the Native Americans, who are depicted in numerous racist and offensive ways as uneducated, violent people. This is unfortunately just really stereotypical of Western-themed media during the 50s, and it's incredibly uncomfortable to watch in modern times where we know that Indigenous people were and are the victim of mass genocide, torture, slavery, war, many crimes at the hands of colonisers. An article I read attributed um, to an author called Pale Racer does point out uh, that in the show, Jane does acknowledge that she understands why the Native Americans are so intent on keeping their land. She says it's because it's beautiful, whereas we know it's because it's their home, which I think sums it up really well. Although these so-called campaigns against the Native Americans take up a really small portion of screen time, we thought it was still important to acknowledge the racism that the show holds and to acknowledge the violence and discrimination Native Americans and other Indigenous people face today. So, Martha gained the nickname Calamity Jane in a campaign in 1872. 
According to Jane's largely unreliable autobiography, basically, <laughs> she was kind of known as a bit of an exaggerator anyway, um, but she supposedly wrote this autobiography, but there's like lots of um, historians that kind of point out that she she was illiterate and she couldn't actually write. So it's it's kind of like who wrote this myth legend thing. Um, but after an ambush on Goose Creek, Jane's captain was shot and wounded and she turned around and she caught him from falling uh, from his saddle and she took him safely back to the base. The captain, after he recovered, supposedly said, I name you Calamity Jane, the heroine of the plains. And that is my Nicosa um, <laughs> accent. accent. <laughs> Um, but there has been so much debate about the accuracy of Jane's military service, um, according to Captain Jack Crawford uh, in the Montana Anaconda. This is mental. The Montana Anaconda Standard, which I say that three times. Say that three <laughs> times. Um, in 1904, he said, "Calamity Jane never saw." Okay, I'll do the voice again. Calamity Jane never saw services in any capacity under either General Crook or General Miles. She never saw a lynching and she was never in a fight. She was simply a notorious character, dissolute and devilish, but possessed a generous streak, which made her popular. <laughs> very good. <laughs> Thank you. Thank that character has much. a lot of depth. I feel like I really went into myself there. Yeah, it sounded... Yeah. Um... Like Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> but you know what it is? I just rewatched True Detective, so I'm thinking like Matthew McConaughey when he's like, listen, Nietzsche, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I don't. Ameri- those kind of American accents are really difficult. Like, no one really yeah. pop, like, like, obviously, people have Southern accents and stuff, but that kind of like deep territory accent, like, no one really talks like, no one really talks like that anymore. Oh no, I love it. I love a southern <laughs> I love a southern accent like that. I, it always reminds me of the opening of Mean Girls. Do you know they're like and on the third day, man Craig <laughs> Man created the raffle. The, ra- the raffle. Oh, like, cuz I'm not I mean I'm not too great on kind of like American um geography, but like Dakota's not the south. It's kind of like um I think well, not like the South as we we think because we think of like Texas, right? Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. upper middle, no? Like yeah, it, I it's like upper Midwest or mm-hmm. something like that, and like that Midwestern accent's quite strange. I think. Um, oh God, we're gonna get so many Americans being like, <laughs> but you know what? You know what I'll say to them? It's the exact same. Is when Americans are like, I love a British accent. And you're like, what's a British accent? Yeah. Like, yeah. are you talking give it about a an go. English accent? Like, yeah. So uh, let's give me a break, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so Jane certainly was notorious. She dressed in full military uniform almost exclusively and was rarely seen without a gun in her hand. From the research I've done, it's less that Jane suffered from any kind of gender dysphoria or identified in any kind of gender non conforming way. Um, but rather that just to gain the respect of her male peers, she wore the uniform and um, adopted kind of like quite masculine traits um, and apparently became perfectly at home in men's clothes, as she put it. Um, what do you guys think? Because obviously when we watch the the movie, like when we see Doris Day in the movie, um, she, she, t- she kind of walks, um, what's that? What do you call that? 
a very walk. weird walk. It's a bizarre yes, walk. It's, it's absolutely a very, like, bizarre. Like jolty, isn't it? And you know, yeah. but then it's kind of strange because she kind of goes from like walking normally to like suddenly walking, like this like stomping. She like swings like, her elbows up and yeah. she kind of has like you know, kind of like a barrel between her legs. Almost. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what? I, she, I think Doris Day's um, version of calamity anyway is quite. It's it's a bit like a toddler. She's. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's it's almost like childlike in the way that she sort of like stomps around and like sulks and things like that. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. Yeah, it's very very childlike. It's like a, it's like, it's like a wee boy pretending to be a man almost. Like what? Yeah, he yeah. A man is yeah. But what what do you guys think about like? Because I kn- it's kind of been re. I suppose like a lot of academics are now like, oh, you know, it's really revolutionary. She was kind of gender non-conforming and stuff like that and I actually I actually don't really think that is the case with that character I mean certainly don't think it's the point the writers were trying to make mm-hmm. um I think it was more of just a like oh look how undesirable and unfeminine she is yeah kind of thing. um but I feel I feel like it's more that she she just loved typically male not typically male traits but role like kind of activities that men typically took up at that time so in order to kind of fit in with that she was just like well I'm doing the full thing yeah especially in in the 1800s like the stuff that she was doing wouldn't have been very typical of women at the time at all so she probably was one of the only women serving at that time in her sort of I don't know what you call it troop or like regalia yeah (laughs) That could be the word of the pod. I don't know. Regalia. 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 Oh my god. (laughs) Taking it to Italy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I also think it's interesting though that in the movie there's a line like at the very, very beginning where she talks about women and there hardly being any in the town. So maybe that could also be part of it. Maybe that because the town is so dominated by mm. men, and also I think she's an orphan, right? I mean, I mean the the the, the real calamity, Jane. She's an orphan, so maybe maybe that's all she knows. Like maybe that's the kind of thing that she was brought up with. Because then well, later she when lost she lost her father, so that exactly she became the primary support for that family because she had like five brothers and sisters. So yeah. yeah, she's maybe just adopting that kind of male, the real clam. Uh, mm-hmm. is maybe adopting that kind of um yeah kind of fatherly role it's interesting yeah. mm-hmm. very interesting back to the nickname which i know you're quite interested in Flo. the the kind of going theory is that she instead received it as a warning that she often issued to men that offending her would be to court calamity i love that oh it's oh. so good she could so like say a guy comes up to her in the tent. He's like, "Hey, honey, or whatever." I don't know. Kind of, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what they would say, but he's like, "Hey, there, honey." She said, "Excuse me, if you offend me, this is the voice that I think she has. If you offend me, that would be to court calamity." <laughs> it's sort of like the whole. <laughs> Listen, yeah. sir, you don't want to meet calamity. <laughs> I think you that you should have an audiobook 
You should do an audiobook of just Calamity Jane. Do you know, it's sort of, it's now sort of lending itself to Clarice from um, Silence of the Lambs. Oh my God, yeah. You know oh, what, yeah. That's, that's exactly, I'm literally like, oh, when she's like, oh no, sir, uh, I've just joined the, bur- the bureau. <laughs> Dr. Oh, Lecter, oh. sir. Dr. Lecter, sir. Oh my God. <laughs> Clarice, may I use your phone? Oh my God. I used to do that all the time. You know that bit where she like realizes it's him. May I please use your phone, sir, in Buffalo Bill's house? Uh, I love Bill. Clarice Starling. I oh. know. Well, interesting. I did note that. We'll come. That is a character. We'll come back to him. Um. Okay. Whatever the truth is, Jane met Wild Bill Hickok, a frontiersman known for his gunslinging skills, gambling habit, and showmanship, in the early 1870s, and moved to the Deadwood Stage in South Dakota. Deadwood Stage is just. I would love to come from a place called the Deadwood Stage. It's just so cool. Maybe because <laughs> the word dead's in it. <laughs> it's unknown <laughs> whether stage. Wild Bill. <laughs> stage, yeah, stage. stage. I'm like, oh my God, it's me, a goth performer. <laughs> um, it's unknown whether Wild Bill and Calamity ever married, but Calamity did have a few daughters um, and claimed to her peers that Hickok was the father. But in 1876, Bill married Agnes Thatcher Lake, a 50-year-old circus proprietor, which, I mean, you What's never that? hear that. I'm presuming she's just going around, like, buying circuses. <laughs> As, you you As you do. As you do. And they, they were, yeah, they were rife with circuses in 18... Right. Absolutely right. <laughs> I mean, I do kind of think, like, God, that, what a fun... I mean, obviously not if they're got animals in the circus but actually no it wouldn't be there's a lot of human rights abuses that went around in the yeah. circus i'm sure she was a terrible woman uh, <laughs> uh, but jane would claim that she did marry bill but she divorced him that so that he could marry agnes which is super weird i don't know what jane was getting out of that uh bill died after being shot by jack mccall after a poker game went sour Jane would spend the rest of her life appearing in Wild West shows, including the Pan American Exposition and Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. But she ended up cooking and cleaning for a brothel in Bell Porch. And Jane, who struggled with alcohol addiction for most of her life, died age 51 in 1903. In this kind of like weird, macabre, like practical joke on Bill Hickok, the Society of Black Hill Pioneers, who for some strange reason Jane entrusted when she died that they would sort out the funeral, ensured that Jane was buried by his side so Wild Bill and Jane were buried together um, but they said it was because Hickok had absolutely no use for Jane while he was alive which just absurd it's a very bizarre. strange yeah very bizarre so that is the whistle stop true-ish story of the real Calamity Jane and since her death there have been many movies books and media based on Jane including the 1936 film the Plainsman, starring Gary Cooper as Bill Hickok and Jean Arthur as Jane. The 1940s serial, Deadwood Dick. Uh, <laughs> you can't say that with a straight face. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It just sounds like the world. You said it worse. very well. <laughs> I, think, I think that you all registered what you just said. Deadwood Dick. I think it's like an inspector type of deal. But it does sound like the world's weirdest porn movie um, oh my god um, yes <laughs> Edward Dick uh, <laughs> oh no 
uh, where she was played by Sally Payne. Um, there's a 1995 film called Buffalo Girls where she was played by Angelica Huston, who I love Angelica Huston, by the way. Icon. Uh, um, she is such an icon. She, oh, oh my God. What, her in Transparent, she's like, mwah, chef's kiss. Um, and most recently in a docu-fiction film called Calamity Jane, Wild West Legend, uh, directed by Gregory Monroe in 2014. And of course, by our topic for today, the beloved 1953 Warner Brothers classic musical movie, Calamity Jane, starring Doris Day and Howard Keel as both Jane and Wild Bill Hickok. And without further ado, I would love to talk a little bit about that, about the movie. Um, I'd actually like to talk about the creatives first. So the people who actually kind of made the movie. So the director at the time was a lovely guy called David Butler, um, who was an American actor, film producer, screenwriter and television director. He did it all, jack of all trades. Um, And he worked with um, then the new Warner Brothers star, the gorgeous Doris Day, who we'll come back to. Doris Day um and he did a lot of work with her in a huge series of kind of popular musicals which included Tea for Two, Lullaby of Broadway, April in Paris, By the Light of the Silvery Moon and of course today Calamity Jane um so that's that was the director the producer was a young man called William Jacobs again American he was a screenwriter and a producer for Warner Brothers. Now, that's going to be a bit of a theme, Warner Brothers, so be prepared. Um, he wrote 13 Hollywood films and he produced 59, which I thought was oh insane. Literally 59. insane. In Yeah, insane. Fif- he produced 59. Jesus, that yeah. is... Wow. I I mean, they definitely I... kept it in the family. When it yeah. came to, <laughs> no, um, I can't think about that too much because I'll be like, "What have I done with my life?" <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so that was the director producer. The music, which is stunning, uh, was by a guy called Raymond John Heindorf, and he was also American, uh, a composer and songwriter. His first job was actually an orchestrator at MGM, which I thought was kind of interesting. But then, of course, he later joined the cult that is Warner Brothers, clearly. I mean, <laughs> there's just they're just all together. Um, and he was doing composing, arranging. I was like, he, after like the fifth movie, he was like, can I please? And they're like, no. <laughs> nope. Nope. It's binding. More. It's binding. <laughs> you are Warner Brothers. Um but when, when he joined Warner Brothers, he did the composing, arranging, conducting uh, for a lot of their uh, um, a lot of their musical scores for almost 40 years. 40 years he did that. I know. Um, and he actually won three... I mean, in his 40 years, he only won three Academy Awards. I mean, saying that, winning three Academy Awards, that's still amazing. Um, he only won. <laughs> yeah, he only won. I mean, do better. Um, no, but I mean, over 40 years. Um, in and uh, he won them in the category of best score of a musical, and that included for Yankee Doodle Dandy, um, This Is the Army, and The Music Man. (gasps) The music, he did the music for The Music Man, yes, I know, uh, which I didn't know either. Um, so yeah, he's he's a he's a pretty cool guy. Um, he also actually undertook the musical direction for um, A Star is Born with Judy Garland. Yes, oh, and he actually, movie. fun fact, he made a cameo appearance in the movie, apparently, which I didn't know, but he played the character um, 
where Jack Carson's character basically congratulates him on, on a great score, and that's him. Oh, which that's is so really sweet. Nice. I know, it's so, oh. so sweet. Um, but other screen credits that Raymond did also include things like 42nd Street, A Streetcar Named Desire, The Jazz Singer, The Music Man, which we talked about. So he's done loads. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty strong team. Yeah, it's a very, very strong team. Um, so that's kind of the people behind the creative side. Um, and then, of course, we have our stars in our show. And to be honest, I only really looked at kind of the four main characters that the story kind of revolves around. Um, so number one, Doris Day. And if you don't know who she is, I'd like you to pause the podcast now <laughs> and <laughs> look her up and listen to it. Just just, just, just listen to her sing. Um, but she was cast as Calamity Jane, the woman herself. So a bit about Doris Day before we kind of get into Calamity Jane again. Um, she is an American actress, singer and activist. Uh, she actually began as a big band singer, which included singing with Les Brown and his band of renown. Uh, but she later left them to embark on, on her own solo career. She continued as kind of a solo singer for many, many years. And then she got into the world of Hollywood. Uh, if you don't already know, some of her movies include obviously Calamity Jane, but uh, more kind of actor stuff i mean alfred hitchcock's the man who knew too much which i completely forgot about she was in that um and she was also in the rom-com pillow talk which i've heard really great things about but i've never watched i need to watch it um have you guys watched either of those i've seen pillow talk like a couple oh yeah oh yeah it's really good yeah i was um i was the geek that had the doris day anthology on dvd oh my god so I had um, Tea for Two, Pillow Talk, The Pajama Game, all on like a little. Oh my DVD god, The Pajama Game! That's a good I one. The pajama Game, yeah. Really, that's good. really cute though, Casey. I can imagine <laughs> you doing like a little Doris Day like tap uh, dance when you were younger. Soft shoe, soft shoes. Yeah, a little soft shoe tap. Yeah. Oh, I loved her. Well, I still do, but um, I remember she. There was a CD that came out. I'm, I swear it was probably about I was probably about 16 so 10 years ago now and like a CD came out that was like a best hits and do you know how everybody was kind of like when they was doing the GCSEs it was like oh yeah my dad said he's going to give me 50 pounds if I do good <laughs> in my GCSEs and I was like my mum said if I do good in my GCSEs I can get the Doris Day CD <laughs> <laughs> so that was my that and was did my, you uh, and did you I did, did you get it I did. very good yes. <laughs> that is so so cute <laughs> I was so excited to put that into my laptop and upload it to my iPod it was oh unreal. yeah bring back those that. days the CDs iconic um so yeah she's she's done a lot um and later on in her career she uh had a tv sitcom series the doris day show which ran for five series um so kind of at the time she was the girl that everyone knew as kind of like the girl next door she had a huge cult following um but oddly enough kind of and i kind of forgot about this at the end of her career things kind of took a turn and she slightly fell out of favour in in some people's eyes, not everyone's eyes, but some people's eyes. They saw her as a little bit out of date. And I didn't know this, but at the end of her acting career, she was actually offered the part of Mrs. Robinson in The Graduate. What? I know, which I was like, I cannot imagine her. And she turned it down 
Um, and she said the reason why she turned it down was due to moral grounds. And quote unquote, she found the script vulgar and offensive. And that's why she turned it down. I mean, Which is, she did. Yeah. She did kind of build her career on being like America's sweetheart. And yeah, like exactly. Mrs. Robinson, Mrs. Robinson's a very raunchy character. But mm. I can't imagine anyone else doing that apart from Shirley MacLaine, to be honest. Yeah, yeah that's, that's Shirley. also Shirley MacLaine. Oh my Shirley MacLaine. God, was insane. Shirley MacLaine. Um, that is so. That's so funny. Because yeah. was she not like quite a big animal rights person? Yes, yes, she was. But I think I think just um, as as the times were changing, especially in the sixties, um, when people were kind of being a bit more risque and kind of wanting to break mm. free of you know how women were perceived, I guess, on film and TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there was, not everybody, but there was some criticism that she wasn't changing with the times. That's, uh, yeah, I, I get that, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Lifelong Republican, Doris Day. I know. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Ah. Um, but yes, that, that was our star. Um, the other star is a lovely young man called Howard Keel, uh, who played the part of Bill Hickok, um, and Howard, again, is also American, actor-singer, known for his rich bass baritone singing voice. Uh, fun fact, apparently, I mean, I don't know if this is actually real, but I want to believe it's real. Apparently, at the age of 20, uh, he was overheard singing by his landlady, who at the time um, said that he should become a singer because she overheard him singing. And he went, OK, I'm going to take up singing lessons. And then that's how he... Oh, stepped lovely. into performing which i think is so sweet that is um, really nice i know um but obviously he was a big big star of the day um and i think to have you know doris day and howard keel it probably was amazing for the box office as well um but actually interesting enough in 1945 this is a bit niche 1945 uh he was the understudy for john rate in carousel on broadway mm. And then he was later cast in Oklahoma. This is kind of in the same time period. Yes, but this is a fun fact about Broadway. And it's like, it's never happened before. He performed the leads in both the shows on the same day. Whoa. Yeah, so he performed in Carousel and Oklahoma on the same day on Broadway. Wait, who was he in Oklahoma? Uh, Oh, no. Now now you're testing me. As in, like, sorry, did you say he played the lead? So he played Curly? Yeah. In um, early and in Oklahoma, and then Billy and Carousel. Yeah, mental. Both of those shows for their lead like boys are so vocally demanding, like and dance. I would say like very dance heavy for Curly, not so much for Billy because he's just act two of Carousel. He's basically like, (laughs) um, mental. Also, all right, Rogers and Hammerstein fanboy like (laughs) see but in the family it's all in the family it's all who you know it's all who you know um but yeah but then that same production of oklahoma just just the last thing for the fun facts that same production of oklahoma later went to the uk as like one of the first american post-war musicals and um uh queen elizabeth was actually the audience at the time when it was on, uh, there was one performance where they demanded 14 encores. 14? 14. 14 encores. Of Oklahoma? Of Oklahoma. 14 encores. Jesus. Which I mean, is just crazy. We do, as a small aside to our audience, if you haven't seen 
the uh, West End <laughs> revival of Oklahoma. Please go. Please go. It's the adaption I wish I could have directed. Incredible. Um, 14. 14. I, actually, I think I could listen to that, though. I really do. Yeah. So that was the old Bill Hickok. Um, then we had um, Alan and... Alan Ann McCleary as Katie Brown. She kind of forms as part of the love triangle, which we'll find out later. Um, So she was a Canadian-born American actress. Some of her other Broadway credits included On the Town, Miss Liberty and West Side Story. Uh, So she was kind of a big musical theatre star at the time. And then finally, we have Philip Carey, who played Lieutenant Danny or Daniel uh, Gilbarton, who kind of completed that love triangle. Uh, so Philip was an American actor. He was actually, before an actor, he was a US Marine serving in World War II. And he actually also served again in, in, in the Korean War. And then his acting career started after that in 1950. Just thought it was kind of interesting. Um, but those are kind of our main main actors in the show. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty strong cast. Moving on to the original production of Calamity Jane. Now, interestingly, I didn't actually know this, that it was the uh, original production came 10 years um, after the movie. Mm. I had always just assumed that it was a stage production first, but it wasn't. It was um, it was obviously the, the film we all know with Doris Day. So the original production took the stage from the 27th of May, 1961. So it was quite a bit after the film came out. And forgive my pronunciation of this. It was played at the Casa Manana in Fort Worth, Texas. And Betty O'Neill played Calamity in that production. Um, it was actually, interestingly, the first tryout of a musical ever stage outside of the East. Ooh. And it was also oh. done in the round. Oh, oh wow. Yeah, Which is which... great for Lassoon. I was it's literally, true. I was thinking that. <laughs> you know, I, I was th- it, it seems like it would really lend itself to being an in the round musical. But I always thought that that was more like of a modern, a modern take in, in theatre. Like, I didn't think in the round was as big of a thing back in a... Back in well, those days. in the round that like that goes way back to like, um, like the Colosseum. Yeah, and but the then uh, uh, tip- typically, yeah, the typically like uh, especially nineteen fifties sixties audiences sort of loved that to have that you know front on view. I don't. Know, it's an interesting because I think for particular things, yeah, definitely for musical theatre, like staging is very front on, like like chocolate box kind of- almost style. Yeah, yeah, exactly. For those kind of legit shows, but then if you think of like, if you think of like Shakespeare and like the Globe and stuff, like they were doing stuff like that all the time. So I suppose yeah, but definitely like the American musical. Very yeah, much exactly. It, like, That's why on. I can't imagine like the you know nineteen fifties American theater audiences kind of getting thrown into, especially it. in Texas. Yeah, yeah, in the round musical, I feel like it. It, it but it, it seems like it would work, and apparently it did. So. After the run in Fort Worth, Texas, it then went into the Muni in St. Louis. Um, St. Louis or St. Louis? Oh, I think St. Louis. That's the age-old argument. Well, I just was re-watching Sharp Objects, where that's based there, and they say St. Louis. But isn't it Meet Me in St. Louis? It is Meet Me in St. Louis. Then in 
in the actual musical Meet Me in St. Louis with Judy Garland, they obviously sing Meet Me in St. Louis. And then um, the one of the characters in the musical actually says it's actually pronounced St. Louis. Yeah, I think it is St. So, Louis. I know. Oh, Potato, yeah. potato. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Paris. <laughs> what is? Paris. So it was performed uh, at the Muni in St. Louis with Edie Adams as Calamity Jane. And interestingly enough, um, Ali Ann McCleary played Katie, and she actually originated the role in the 1953 movie version. So she went on to then play it in the stage production. And oh, as in Katie, Kate, she played Katie. Yeah, yeah, she played oh, Katie in both productions. Oh, that's nice, isn't it? And what's also really cute is that George Gaines, her husband, he was playing Bill Hickok in the production with her. Oh, so they both really had nice. a little role in that, which is really nice. So, how does the story of Martha Jane Cannery, aka Calamity Jane? come together for this 1953 Warner Brothers classic? Well, it basically doesn't. <laughs> Apart from the characters' <laughs> names and some choice personality traits and skills, the story is entirely fictional, capitalising on the myth and legacy of the real gunslinging, gender non-conforming, Wild West icon, Calamity Jane. So, I'll just do a quick plot summary of Calamity Jane. Please be aware of spoilers so we're all on the same plane. <laughs> Oh That's God! Little I love. I love how we have to. Uh, it's it's been around since 1953. But spoiler alerts. I know. Sp- spoiler alerts for the uh, for the Warner Brothers classic. Uh, no, but someone would say it. We open at the Deadwood stage, South Dakota, in the 1870s. Chaps wearing, gunslinging, a general chaotic nuisance, Calamity Jane, played wonderfully by Doris Day in a departure from her more feminine blonde bombshell roles is in major lust for Lieutenant Gilmartin. Who, just FYI, he's so dull. I've never understood that. So dull. Especially when Wild Bill is there, being all moody. Oh, I know. The saloon that Calamity frequents is having trouble finding female performers to entertain the guests, and a riot almost breaks out when a male performer in drag accidentally loses his wig on stage. Calamity, ever the hero, promises to go to Chicago and bring the beautiful Adelaide Adams to Deadwood to perform, much to the doubt and mocking of Wild Bill, Calamity's friend slash foe. Will they, won't they? It's the classic enemies to lovers trope, <laughs> which I think we're we're all sucker for. I, yeah. I love it. <laughs> Unbeknownst to Jane, when she gets to Chicago, Adelaide has just given a farewell performance and has given her maid Casey Brown her old costumes. When Calamity mistakes Katie for Adelaide, Katie doesn't correct her as she dreams of being a singer and agrees to travel to Dakota with Calamity to perform for the saloon. This is, of course, disastrous as Katie panics on stage and admits her deceit to the very angry crowd. Calamity comes to her defence and shoots her pistol in the air to settle the crowd. Katie continues her performance and the crowd is won over. So Katie moves into Calamity's cabin and they fix it up together, with Katie teaching Calamity how to be much more ladylike and dress in a more feminine way to attempt to seduce, 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 <laughs> um, in an attempt to seduce uh, Lieutenant Gilmartin, who unfortunately, along with Wild Bill Hickok, are far too taken with Katie to notice Calamity's new clothes and attitude. After a particularly hilarious episode with some mud and Calamity's new dress getting ruined, Gil Martin wins a short straws competition to take Katie to an upcoming ball. 
and Bill Esquart's Calamity, effectively on a very strange love triangle rhombus. Uh, it's like a square. Double D. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. so weird. Although the town is in awe of Calamity's new looking beauty, Calamity is jealous of Katie and Gil Martin's close connection. She loses it, confronts Katie, and shoots a glass from her hand, which is apparently the most scandalous thing you can do in that day. How we can how, how we can confront people in, in those days. Yeah, just shooting a little glass from a hand. Um <laughs> Uh, Katie, who thanks to Calamity has a newfound confidence in herself, in turn shoots a glass from Calamity's hand the next day apparently it's just a thing um, while Bill comforts Calamity and then tells her that he shot the glass from her hand to teach her some humility. Thank you Bill, just what a lovely way to treat the women that you uh, what, what a way to like sum up the attitudes men had towards women Yeah, in those days of being like I shot a glass from your hand because I think I need to teach you some humility. Also, I love you and will you marry me? (laughs) It's just absolutely mental. Um, And they both realise that they've loved each other all along. After a very quick high-speed wagon ride to intercept the stagecoach, Katie is on to Chicago um, feeling guilty for betraying calamity. Both women return back to Deadwood for a double wedding. Their marriages and friendships solidified into a happy ever after golden age of Hollywood ending. Classic. Now comes the time where we take a look at some of the songs, uh, lyrically, musically, their themes and their impact. So, Rosa, what's your favourite song in Calamity Jane? So, I can't, it's hard to pick a favourite, but one of my favourites is the classic duet, I Can Do Without You. So, I Can Do Without You is a duet sung by Calamity and Bill after he mocks her for thinking that she can bring Adelaide Adams back to the Deadwood Sissy. She basically explodes because he's like, oh, Calamity's word is sacred. And then she's like, it's like a really beautiful moment where she's like, did you mean it, Bill? Did you mean it? Like, do you really think I can go and get Adelaide Adams from Chicago or Chicago? Because they always say Chicago. <laughs> what is Chicago? I think, I think that's them trying to hint at the location of where it's all set. But then it doesn't make any sense because then everything else is spoken in like, an American accent, like it's a general. It's so strange. It's yeah, bizarre. They, they, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they're probably trying to be like, we're in the Midwest. Yeah. But it's, yeah, Chicago. It kills me. <laughs> um, so she's like, yeah, did she really mean it? And he says, which is the, I, we have no frame of reference for this being one from the UK and just being born in the town that we are. He says, and this is a stinging, stinging insult. Yeah, about as much as I do a blind rattlesnake with a brand new button on its tail. I well, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> a brand new I, rattlesnake with a button on its tail. A blind rattlesnake with a brand new button on its tail. Okay. I've just got nothing. Well, she... Whew, that <laughs> sends her into... Oh, that is the worst you. thing you could possibly say. <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, and she like grabs his arm and then boom, the music starts. Um, and they immediately begin to argue and move into a kind of fast paced, high energy duet that lets the, each other know exactly what they think of one another using pretty ferocious language for the time. Um, they're kind of constantly exchanging uh, barbs about what they hate about one another. So the first one is in the summer, you're the winter. In the finger, you're the splinter. In the banquet, you're the stew. See, I could do without you. And I think what she's meaning is like a banquet, like 
you're at a banquet, like a stew is kind of like a working class option. That's a bit rubbish. I'm, I'd be here for the stew, but fine. But it's kind of like <laughs> the thing of when you go to a buffet and they have like one of those big silver pots with soup in. And yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> I'm not going yeah. for the soup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not going for the soup. Um, there's some pretty, pretty bold uh, insults in here. In the uh, in the barrel, you're a pickle. That's my favourite. I actually think that's my favourite. <laughs> that's a good one, isn't it? In my bosom, you're a dagger, which the word bosom always makes me laugh. Bosom? <laughs> <laughs> my granny used to be like, because she, she was from like, um, she was from North London, and she'd always be like, need to get a new bra for your bottoms. And it was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Mental. Uh, what's your favourite insult, Casey? I really enjoy, in the theatre, you're the boo. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. That's a, you know, as a performer, that would rile me. <laughs> You're the boo. Unless you were a panto villain. Yeah. Then True. that's excellent. True. I'm I like my um, casting, so. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I like, um, you got charms that ain't bewitching me. You've got a face no one would paint, which I, makeup, I don't know. Oh, I'm dumb. Okay. I've just realized what that would be. I'm thinking like it? paint on, paint on the face, but it's like paint. It's like yeah, you, no on. one, no oh. one's gonna sit there. See, I didn't get that either. I was yeah, I thought that was weird. I've got the darndest itch in me to be wherever you ain't. I like that one because I just like the word darndest. Darndest. I got the darndest itch in me. I think I you just like it. using that accent. I, I think okay, well, fine, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still, um, I'm still so. picturing Jodie Foster every time you put it on, to be honest. <laughs> oh my god, Jodie Foster to Hannibal Lecter. She's like, she's like in the theatre, you're a boo. <laughs> Dr. Lecter? Uh, Dr. Lecter? In the barrel, you're a pickle. <laughs> <laughs> you got a really good voice for her, that's so good. Oh my god. He's like, well, Clarice, you're my ki- <laughs> nice Chianti with fava beans. <laughs> <sighs> I can do without you. It's often actually mistaken to as a counterpoint duet. So a counterpoint duet in musical theatre is where two characters are either arguing or trying to convince the other of the other's opinion. The first character will sing solo in one specific melody and the other will respond to their argument Again, solo, with a kind of altered melody, but often to the same chords. Hence, point, counterpoint. If they do end up agreeing, or one character concedes to the other's idea or point of view, they will often resolve the argument by singing together in unison, on the melody of the person who won the argument, or in a new melody if they have come to a compromise. So a good example of a counterpoint duet is the confrontation song from Les Mis between... um, I don't know why, but today I keep getting mixed up between... It's Valjean. I keep being wanting to be like, Jalvan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, yeah, so between Valjean and Javert. So obviously, um, Javert starts off and he's like, Valjean, at last, we see each other plain, Monsieur La Mer. You wear a different... And then I cannot... Do, it's, like, insanely low. But he says, you wear a different chain. And... <laughs> you wear a different chain. <laughs> you wear a different chain, love. And then um, Valjean comes in and he's like, 
before you say another word, jump there. <laughs> it's like this really weird <laughs> melody. It's like, it is so strange. It always makes me laugh. Um, Listen to me. Like, it's just obviously it's meant to be like he's really desperate, but it just always makes me laugh. Prisoner 24601. Um, uh, yeah, so it's obviously we're on the same, we're in the same key. Um, and they're they're on the same chords, but they're in completely different melodies. So Valjean and Javert then at the end of the song come together in unison on the same melody, different from what either one has sang previously. So no one's kind of, um, no one's won that argument. They say, I swear to you, I swear to you, I will be there. I don't think that's what it is, but that's what I think. <laughs> um, and this is not because they one of them has acquiesced to the other one's point of view, but it's because they're swearing an oath. So Valjean is swearing to care for Cosette, and Javert is just being like, yeah, for the rest of my life, I'm going to hunt you down because no, no murderers, no murderers. It's this one man who's stolen a loaf of bread. I'm going to hunt him down for the rest of his life. So they've come together. They're in agreement. The feelings are the same. Um, so they sing in unison on the same line. So I Can Do Without You is a variation of the counterpoint duet because although both Calamity and Bill sing separately, they're actually always on the same melody. Um, but they never once kind of overlap or sing together. So there's like a bit where it's like, you're a blah, 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 blah. It's really quick, but they never, they never overlap. Um, but this is because they're kind of on the same page. They both hate each other. So there's agreement there with the idea, but they don't ever sing together until they end on a final like, I can do without you. And that's just completely in unison. So as their feelings towards one another are the same, you'd expect for them to sing and kind of exclaim this in unison, in agreement. But I think the separate solos kind of indicate um, that they both haven't resolved their true feelings towards one another yet. So there's a bit of distance between them. So obviously we know by the end that they actually loved each other and this whole thing's been silly. They haven't come to that realisation yet, so they're not at the point where they can sing together and be at one. There's that kind of distance, which is why I think they take like the the turns um, giving the solo. What's kind of strange is there's actually never any kind of musical resolution to their love story. So kind of typical of the musicals at the time. Like you'd expect with Rodgers and Hammerstein, they they love like a I love you but song and then love resolving it. So like in Oklahoma, there's um people will say we're in love. So they're talking about all the reasons why people will say they're in love, but they're not actually in love, even though they're flirting the entire time. And we know. And then at the end, when Carly and Laurie uh, do kind of realize that they love one another, when she's like, oh, Carly, they then sing a reprise of people will say we're in love, but it's let people say we're in love. So it kind of resolves that. They never really have this in Calamity Jane. Like, the scene is just, it's really odd in the film. She's very upset because obviously Adelaide's just shot the glass out of the hand and she's getting with Lieutenant Gilbert. And then, like, basically Bill just, like, turns up and he's like, I don't think I'll, I don't think I'll ever get over Adelaide. Or not Adelaide, Katie. What a woman. And then he's like there'll never be any other guy for me but gilbert and then they kiss they kiss and then yeah she immediately he says oh what about that guy and she's like i don't know like what does she say you're she, like what guy like, like yeah like, it's something so no, like that about, is it and then like that's a, what about it, that guy and like what about him like yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like okay and then that's it and then like it's kind of just done but there's no musical resolution i just think that that's really interesting like i wonder why why they didn't think that like a little reprise of like 
I can do without you is like, I don't want to do without you. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't have the same ring. I might be reading like too much into this, but now I'm thinking about it. I don't think they actually looked at it this deep, but this is through my lens. Maybe the reason that they're singing on the same melody, even though it's an argument sort of song, it's kind of like a preempting of showing that, look, these characters are really similar and are actually kind of perfect for each other. Mm. Like, just look at the way that they are, you know, whipping back and forth between the two of them. Yeah, so that's maybe such a this... good point, actually. Yeah, it's just showing that, like, they, there's no harmony, there's nothing there because they're not two different points of view. They're kind of a similar, they are kind of the same yeah. person. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And actually, I what's this kind of... I mean, I was going to save it for a little bit later, but we're already on the topic. Um, do you know what key this song is in? This is so niche. Do you know what musical key this song is in? I can do without you. Yeah. No. So it's in E-flat major. This is for, like, musos out there. So it's in E-flat major, but uh-huh. that's not the interesting thing. The interesting thing is that it's the same key as um secret love oh yeah which is her song where she's like i'm in love with him that's like so that comes later at the very very end of the musical that's kind of when she like confesses that she's really in love with bill and i just think that's really interesting that they're both in the same key maybe it is musically resolved because it's like it's like (laughs) maybe maybe all along they were supposed to be together but they just they were looking in the wrong places and the music was telling them that they were that they were meant to be together all along yeah that's really nice that's that's lovely Yeah. yeah i just yeah i suppose it resolves in that way but not it's just not them two together you know what i mean Yet. 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 That's what the rest of the musical is all for. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I Can Do That You is pretty good, but there is arguably a better love duet in (laughs) Calamity Jane that takes place between Katie and Calam, A Woman's Touch. A Woman's Touch. This is my favourite song in the whole musical. And I just think that, I don't know if it was done purposely, but the double entendre in this song is rife. And I feel like... <laughs> a woman's touch. A, woman, a I, woman's I touch. Couldn't, is... I couldn't not hear it. Like, after after you guys said that, I was like, I can't unhear it. I can't unhear the double <laughs> entendre now. <laughs> I just think, I think especially, you know, looking at it, looking at it from a queer perspective anyway... I think that Calamity Jane is so obviously a queer woman and I find it so odd that she's kind of stuck into this musical and at the Mm. end kind of comes to this big, you know, I know we love the whole enemies to lovers, this trope, but I can't, I cannot just not see Calamity Jane as a gay woman. And yeah, I mean, it is very queer coded, isn't it? Like I know Stacey Wolf is like the kind of academic, she, she's touched on that quite a bit that it's just a completely queer coded, like butch woman. Um, yeah, it's yeah, and then suddenly we've got to we've got to all believe that she's going to put on a dress and fall madly in love in like a day with a man after she sang a, a whole song about um, a woman's touch, which <laughs> obviously the double entendre of a woman's touch, but then also some of the things in it. So, for example, one of my favourite um, lines. So, like, let's just um, set the scene as well. They've just moved in together. Yeah. They have just they... moved into a house together. 
in the nineteen in the eighteen seventies, right? And didn't and didn't Calamity initiate that? She was like, "Oh no, you're gonna move in with me." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And they were roommates. And they were roommates. And they were roommates. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But um, my my favorite the, the opening line is a woman's touch, a woman's touch. The magic of Aladdin couldn't do as much. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah. That's, if that is not like, yeah, if that is not a metaphor for like, lesbian sex, I have never heard one. Well, of the next power. line. Listen, listen to this next line. Okay, she's a wizard. She's a champ, and she doesn't need a lamp. <laughs> You know, do with that what you will. You know, take a lamp anywhere you want. But <laughs> I was literally. And, I mean, and who sit? Who started off singing this? Is this Katie or Clam? This is Clam. Doesn't it? But does um, I think I think Katie starts the ver- like the first like line right. She's like a woman's touch, and then it goes into calamity. No, or I'm making that up. No, I I'm sure it's well. It's definitely calamity that says the. Um, the gene, the... Oh, okay. Yeah. No, you're right. So Katie says, a woman's touch. Calamity says, a woman's touch. Katie says, the magic of Aladdin couldn't do as much. She's a wizard, she's a champ. And Calamity says, and she doesn't need a lamp. Ah! Oh. Wink. <laughs> wink, wink. Well, there we go. The fact, the fact that it's a reply to one another as well also mm. is kind of a, a wink, wink. Um... It's just all the there's so many references to magic and I'm just like how is this yeah. not, you know, more with, canon? Yeah, with magic often being used kind of as a literary tool, isn't it, when you're discussing kind of sapphic relationships. Yeah. And it's, you know, like a, a hocus pocus that she does so well. Um a woman's touch can weave a spell. I mean you can obviously the in the musical, in air quotes, they're they're talking about cleaning up this mm. little shack and creating a house um like cozy enough for you know a man and his bride but the um what i find really interesting is the music change so you know you can argue that this is literally about a lesbian relationship this song but it, it doesn't really sound like a love song it's very you know um upbeat and kind of you know like chirpy um, mm-hmm. tempo to it but uh, towards the end uh, calamity it the the tempo changes it comes right down and into more like a romantic melody mm. and that's the the gosh almighty all at once the cabin that we knew becomes a shiny castle built for two and then she looks at katie and goes me and you Aww. so then what but then, I- but then it gets back into the like peppy music again yeah but they they've literally just talked about you know uh, the pies and cakes a woman bakes can make a fella tell her that she she loves her very much. So it's kind of like the whole the whole time they're talking about you know fixing up this house so it's fit for a man, but yet completely contradicts themselves in the line. It becomes a yeah. shiny castle built for two, me and you, me and you. So they've created this house with a woman's touch for each other. Oh, that is so, so nice. It's really cute, yeah. isn't it? And it's, I mean, it's just a a victim of the times, I think, mm. because, I mean, we'll get onto that a little bit later. I've got, I've got some more things to say about that. But um, 
that particular song uh, is obviously a very big it's um, become like quite a sapphic anthem as well yeah definitely like the um the lgbtq plus community like really took that and noticed the sort of spark between katie and kalam even back in like the 1960s 70s it was yeah. it was quite a big thing. I mean, possibly in the fifties as well, but I, I'm, I'm it, guessing it wouldn't have been spoken about as much as you know when the times started to change a little bit more. And but, then there's like a an argument as well, isn't there? That like actually, who Calamity's not jealous of when she sees Gil Martin and Casey getting close is Gil Martin. Like she's jealous because of Casey. Katie. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's sort of really the only song apart from I mean a few people. Um, have said that they take the the double meaning of secret love mm. to actually mean a secret love for Katie. Um, but that that's probably the only song in which you could actually read it that way. Yeah, and it's kind of the only sort of insight into that sort of pocket of calamity's life. But... I suppose it's quite interesting as well when, like, at the end when they're it's like this really weird scene where they've had like this double wedding, which is just. I, double weddings are odd anyway. Yeah. Like, that screams oddness to me. But yeah, it does kind of evoke, like, a bit of a feeling of, like, oh, is this a little lavender marriage? Like, both of you are just getting married, so yeah. you can be friends. <laughs> yeah. Be each other's beards. Yeah, be each other's beards. <laughs> that is, I, I've never, like, put that together before, that the magic of Aladdin couldn't do as much. She's a wizard, she's a champ. She it's doesn't, doesn't need, a, need lamp. a lamp, you know. <laughs> take the lamp as you will. <laughs> wink, wink. One of my favourite songs from the show is "Secret Love," and I know I'm not alone with this. I think it's I think it's everyone's. Well, I shouldn't say everyone's. It's it's a very very popular song from the show. It's very very well known, um, and I particularly love this song because. It sounds so different to any other song in the musical so far. You know, mo- most of the songs sound quite like hunky dory, like fun, like boom chip, boom chip. Like a lot of it is like quite predictable as to like what's going to come next. Whereas like this feels so different. It feels like a brand new musical, like almost. It, it just feels so, especially as it- as it's calamity singing. It feels very different for her character to sing with this music. Um, even just kind of like the first opening few bars, it's this like gorgeous, almost kind of like a harp playing in the background. So it feels like really magical and kind of like, yeah, just it's really, really beautiful. Um, And it's kind of like, it's almost that kind of mirroring of when a character has like a realisation moment, like almost kind of like a transformation moment where it's like, it's like a butterfly almost. Um, That's kind of how I... Well, when I heard it, it was kind of that feeling of transforming versus, you know, the the very, very beginning where, you know, she kind of goes along with this, like, you know, hunky-dory, like, normal kind of music that's kind of the yeah. music of the show. I think you're absolutely right. It's like a transformation because, like we said before, she's um, she, she behaves really quite childish, Calamity Jane. She's kind of always you know, um, exaggerating the truth and, and kind of trying to win everybody's affection and attention. Um, and even in I Could Do Without You, every time he sort of grabs her or they, you know, she swings her arms about and swings her legs about like a, like a child. Mm. And then I feel like this is sort of her like coming into womanhood. It's like a, a maturing 
for her character. But yeah. then everything after everything after this, the kind of like all that kind it is, of it is though it really is though it really is that all that all sort of dies down <laughs> because then after secret love like um like black hills of dakota and everything mm. it's all kind of yeah. softer and and changes musically so this really is like the stillest she's been isn't it yeah definitely definitely she's and such like a person that has to move and she's like so vibrant and she's constantly like running about and yeah blah, blah, blah. and then like this she is just sitting yeah, and I feel like her singing is also very soft and quiet, um, especially at the very beginning. And actually, weirdly, it's like one of the only songs where she doesn't say a word weirdly, like, um, like Minas, what, 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 what were you saying? Chicago. Like how like some, how like most songs she like says a word where you're like, that's a weird way to say it. This song, it's like, she just says everything like, per- like normally um, without kind of having to feel the need to like add a weird inflection. Um, and it's, it's almost kind of quite romantic the way that she's singing versus, you know, before where it is quite like loud and quite like staccato. Um, and, um, I feel like also the tempo feels a lot slower, um, and Mm -hmm. versus the like moments of the musical where you had a very like clear rhythm, like it's very, very clear the rhythm in like all the earlier songs, like just blew in from the Windy City and, um, and the Deadwood stage song. It's all, it literally is that bumcher kind of beat that's like very driven, very steady, almost kind of like an accelerator, almost kind of acting like as a regulator throughout her life. Like that's her world that sets the scene. And then this like new, irregular, slower, tempo feels quite kind of new and different and changed like as as we were talking about um and it's kind of like the rhythm that she is now versus before um which I think is kind of nice feels like she's been like stopped in her tracks definitely definitely but she she also feels very present in the song like the bit where she sings like now that's like that's kind of like when she lets everything loose she's releasing yeah definitely and she's very present in the moment acknowledging like that this is this is her right here right now this is how I'm feeling and it's that kind of like epiphany moment I feel like for for the for the character um I think what's also like an interesting theme just like in general as um for for calamity is I think from an actor's perspective like you have to notice like her vulnerable side versus her larger than life side and like how that's kind of like a conflict all the time I think as as her character where she does come across as like larger than life but she has a very vulnerable side as well Mm. and I think like the conflict is is like can she live in both worlds and I think she kind of answers it in this song because um essentially she sings the whole song once because the I mean the, the actual song isn't that long it's only about a verse so she sings the whole verse once, then the verse is interrupted by just an instrumental line. So it's just it's just instruments playing with no with with no lyrics. But then, as this is so this is so weird. Then as like as the instrumental is kind of fading out, you hear that like clip clop rhythm come back in, kind of like that bumcher rhythm come back in at the end of the instrumental bit, which is kind of like it's it's almost suggesting that even though it's like a new phase, it's a new beginning, there's still that familiarity that's kind of merged with this new start. And it's mm-hmm. and it and that kind of bumcher has it's 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 been there all 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 the time. And it's kind of like she can exist in these two worlds where a woman can be vulnerable and she can be larger than life. And she's kind of proving that, yeah, that that's that's possible. Yeah, it's definitely it feels like that 
when it um when it starts to go into that um I know what it's what it the what is the melody though it's like dum bum 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 yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. kind of like, isn't there like a horse and a carriage in the yeah, sort of yeah, exactly. The background of the yeah, and she's kind of watching Something that like go that. on. Yeah, it feels like she's like had this moment of just like stillness and like reflectiveness, and then it's like, and we're back, to and we're back. Life. Yeah, yeah. But also, you of... could see, you could see that bumcher is maybe like maybe this is getting really deep, but that could be like her heartbeat because it is mm. a curb bum 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 kind of rhythm oh yeah so it's like her heart stopped exactly oh that's a really cute way of looking at it the whole song (laughs) is like that whole moment when your heart skips a beat and kind of and then oh my god yeah and then this is the beat yeah that's nice i feel like we may be looking into this way more than the actual writers of the of the music and lyrics but, but you know what though really... that that is that is what we're here for that's what we're here for we're here that to be like this is the heartbeat i love that line um so i told a friendly star the way that dreamers often do yeah just how wonderful you are and why i'm so in love with you that's very cute but i like a friendly star is very sweet as a line isn't it yeah Wee friendly star i think it's like really what's nice. an unfriendly star it's <laughs> a good question <laughs> I think it's a, a really nice way of kind of looking at she's hidden, like she, she hides herself behind a bravado, really. That's what she's all about is, you know, look at me. I, you know, I want to prove myself because I think she is trying to prove herself, you know, mm. amongst all these men in Deadwood. Um, and now's kind of a moment where she feels like maybe there's a part of her that she's sort of letting out and, you know... I know. I love how we keep saying "bumcher," but the bumcher it is the though, but that <laughs> is kind of it like well, though. that 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 part of me still there, but I'm kind of merging the two together. Exactly. Yeah. And actually, and and the 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 song actually ends with a slow fade of like that rhythm in the background. So she she kind of interrupts that instrumental bit, it's coming back into like now da 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 da. She comes back into that bit, and she's kind of like taking a hold of the song again. And then the song ends with like a slow fade of instrumental, but then the clip-clop kind of sound comes back in to kind of slowly fade out with it. Kind of like, I, I think it's that it's kind of saying like, yeah, she's, like these two worlds have come together. Um, mm. But I mean, maybe maybe I'm reading too much yeah. into it, but no, that's how I like to see it. I suppose like the, uh, the merriment, I guess, of as much as we are maybe like, she wouldn't wear a dress whatever if we're going along with like the kind of character progression like it's the kind of merriment i guess of like both her because she's never gonna like disregard that uh more rough and tumble side that she has but mm-hmm. like maybe an embracement of like that more feminine side as well yeah yeah those two things kind of marrying together um but yeah i mean it's 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 a stunning stunning song um and this is particular deep. So if you want deep, I'm going to go a little bit deeper. Um, <laughs> I read that apparently this theme, so like the opening few bars of the song, it's really similar and it's spooky. It sounds really similar to Schubert's A major piano sonata. This is so niche. If you listen to it, like the opening bit of, of that sonata, it sounds exactly like this song, exactly like the song. And it's interesting because 
um, that sonata was written by obviously Schubert and it was when he was in vacation in Austria and he wrote it about a girl called Josephine who was the daughter of the host at the time and at the time he thought she was very pretty and a, and a good pianist apparently quote unquote a good pianist mm-hmm. but, it, but it, was, it was a love song for Josephine and it's interesting that 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 sonata which sounds exactly like um uh, it, it sounds exactly like Secret Love is a love song. So it's kind of like it, it in my head that kind of like that is proof that this is a love song because they're so similar. How old was uh, was Schubert? Schubert. Time? He was a young boy. That's all I know that he was okay, young. I don't know the fine. exact fine. age. Um, and again, that's like obviously extremely niche, but I just think it's interesting. Oh, I love that. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's really beautiful. And like a really pure kind of love, I'm guessing, if he was young and the girl was young. Yeah. And actually, like, like the, the music in, in the sonata is like lyrical, but then it has like really loud, like triumphant moments, which is kind of like how how a young person is in love. Like they kind mm. of have like highs and lows, right? You have moments where you're like, oh, I'm so in love. Oh my God, I'm so in love. And they kind of, it's like those highs and lows of falling in love with someone. Yeah. Which yeah, I think exactly. actually you definitely see in this song because it starts off quiet and then she lets it all out. So she's letting out that secret. She's letting out that secret, whatever that secret may be. Oh, oh maybe she's <laughs> maybe this entire song is about Casey. Could be. <gasps> it would make sense, wouldn't it? Because it would, it would be a secret. Sense. It would be a secret. Would, yeah. And she's just telling those hills, those black hills of Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> whilst riding a horse whilst riding a horse <laughs> but enough about all this music I would love to hear about a bit of gossip I love a bit of gossip we all do um, anyone got any camp juicy gossip it's camping gossip corner bitch <laughs> yeah that's the one sorry that's the one. sorry share bit of an injustice there but um <laughs> Really, really had to dig for some little juicy tidbits of information. So we've got a few fun facts first, which I didn't know and now makes so much sense. So did you know that Jessie, as in Jessie the cowgirl from Toy Story 2, her her whole character is actually based on Doris Day's Calamity? No way. Yeah, they How? use her as like a... They used her as like a stimulus for like the way she. Um, it makes so much sense now when you look back at how Jessie is in Toy Story. That's true, actually. Like the whole like yeah, and like being so high energy and like the way she's running around and it really oh makes sense. Oh my god, my whole life is a lie. When somebody loved me. Also, sidebar: <laughs> that is the most heartbreaking song of any. Oh, I know. Arguably, it's yes, got it. It's. It's absolutely gutting. But also, um, like, that whole video montage of, like, her being left behind is just, like, so heartbreaking. <gasps> oh, no. I remember as a kid going up to my toys being like, I love you to all of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after that, after that film, I, if I accidentally stepped on one of my toys, I'd literally be like, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> just in case you have feelings. Oh, um, I have feelings. <laughs> also... Doris Day actually recorded Secret Love in one take. 
one take. That song wonder. is so hard to sing as well because it. I don't think I quite realized it goes low. Yeah, yeah. really low. But yeah, one take, one take wonder with that. Um, what an icon. So now a bit of a juicy, you know, golden age drama. Um, so as we know, back in the back in those days. If you were signed as an actress to a particular production company, you could only work for them. So, so you kind Warner of, Brothers in this case. Warner Brothers. In the, uh, and So you kind of had the big boys, which were Warner Brothers and then Metro, Golden, Mayer. Right. They were kind of often competing with each other. Mm. I mean, um, that 59 productions from that one guy. Yeah. Red flag. <laughs> it's a red flag from me. <laughs> um... <laughs> So Doris was contracted to uh, Warner Brothers and Judy Garland was contracted to Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. Now, when Annie Get Your Gun, the the official rights uh, went out for Annie Get Your Gun, Warner Brothers really wanted that and they kind of promised Doris Day that they were going to give her Annie Get Your Gun, like that was going to be hers. But MGM snuck in there and got and, and like took it from underneath them and they actually ended up like bidding on the rights to it so it then became an MGM production oh wow which we now know with uh starring Betty Hutton but at the time it was originally Judy Garland was cast I know have you ever watched the Judy Garland because they filmed a bit with Judy yeah. Garland and it's really heartbreaking to see because obviously she was battling addiction at the time yeah. and was having a really really tough time um and there's a, a couple of tapes of her filming Annie Get Your Gun. And it's really it's really heartbreaking to watch. And you can kind of see why they had to kind of close the book on her playing mm. that character because it really wasn't working because she was she was too ill. Yeah, and, she she was. She was completely too ill. Yeah, time. and it, it, it went to Betty Hutton. Um so Doris was sort of gutted, you know. Um and so then when Calamity Jane came about um, Warner Brothers managed to get hold of that one and then that was kind of her like their apology to Doris Day for not getting her and get your gun so she got Calamity Jane instead Interesting. I, think, I mean that's a pretty good apology <laughs> it is a pretty good apology isn't it it, it is um, and they managed to get so Howard Keel who played playing Bill he actually played Frank in and get your gun as well so he was the leading man in both of those Oh, I don't. I think I ever put that together. Yeah, yeah. He was the leading man. He was. He's um the love interest for Betty Hutton in Annie Get Your Gun, and then obviously he's the love interest in Calamity Jane as well. So, so he, he worked for of, MGM and Warner Brothers. He must have done. I think you know maybe either his contract was up with one of them, or oh. sometimes sometimes they would um source out their actors you could kind of go on a temporary contract with a production company if they paid enough money a lot of the time though it was the men women were yeah. sort of more like binded by their contracts because they were sort of the face of of the golden age of movies um so they wanted to keep tight hold of that but yeah i don't know what happened with that i don't know probably his contract might have may have been up and he may have switched or wow yeah that's so, so interesting and then obviously there's so many links between them anyway uh, between Annie Get Your Gun and Calamity Jane 
But then in 1962, Betty Hutton then went on to play Calamity Jane in a theatre production. So Aww. she she kind of got to do both. Oh, that's quite nice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad for Betty Hutton. Like, clearly she had a type. It's very typecast, isn't it? Is it weird to be typecast as a Midwestern gunslinger? Like <laughs> It's very niche. It's not, it is a very niche market, and she is clearly <laughs> killing, killing it. it. It's not saturated. So this is the bit that we've all been waiting for. I know I can hear you at home saying, yes, we finally made it <laughs> to the best bit. It is the magic generator. This is the chance where we finally get to put on our casting director hat and cast our very own production of Calamity Jane. But it's extra special because Rosa has a special magic generator that is going to magically appear with three random names. Now, these three random names could be anyone. It could be musical theatre performers, it could be actors, actresses, TV personalities, it could be anyone. And obviously a few wild cards will also be put in there as well. So without further ado, who have we got? Okay, it's generating. Oh, interesting. Pierce Brosnan. Oh. I'm thinking he's a wild bill if I I was yeah, one. I think yeah. he's got the that he's got the uh, the charm to be a bill. Yeah. The charm and the slight misogynistic <laughs> Yeah. He's got the part. He's got <laughs> the part. But you could imagine him being like I shot that damn glass out of your hand to teach you some humility. Like you, you know, who I would cast as Bill is Rosa. That's who I would. Cast. <laughs> <laughs> that's You've got the part, Rosa. <laughs> I've got the part. He's got. He's got that sort of like smouldering. Like, yeah. You know, he's got. A, he's got the smoulder, as um, Flynn Rider would say. Yeah, he does. He's got that Flynn Rider. Also, a young Flynn Rider he could also do, I think. Like, yeah. Well, a young Pierce Brosnan could do Flynn Rider when he's... Yeah, I'm just picturing like. Pierce Brosnan in a cowboy hat and I can see it. So Yeah, I can really <laughs> see it. Okay. Okay. This is... This is a really odd one. Um, this is so weird. We have Paris Hilton. Oh my god. I would oh. cast her as Adelaide. I was going to say that, like Adelaide, be, like the like original Adelaide, like actual Adelaide. Yeah, the the, the yeah. real Adelaide. Yeah, because Paris Hilton was in a musical film. Um, she's in that. What I can't remember what the name of it is, but it's that weird kind of. You know, it was a really popular song on TikTok for a while, but it's from like a movie musical. And it's like, Zydrid comes in a little glass vial, a little glass vial, a little glass vial. Have you ever heard of that? <laughs> no. No, okay. I'm just weird. Um, well, she wouldn't really make a calamity, would she? No. <laughs> I, I don't think we'll she We'll be in touch. Be, we'll be in touch, but I would I would say that the men that court her would court calamity. I yeah. think yeah. <laughs> Oh god. Oh god. Should we have one more? Yeah, but definitely look up that um I think it's Zydrate the song's called. Um, and look oh, at the also she's wearing like a black bob she looks great okay ooh interesting Julia Roberts ooh oh calamity ooh. she's a calam isn't she, she is. oh 100% I feel like Julia Roberts could play anyone and I would eat it up yeah yeah, yeah. I honestly like she could do like a one woman show 
of like any musical. If she, I would watch a one woman Julia Roberts Hamilton. Yeah, <laughs> I'd be so into all the parts all at once. Yeah, she's like, "Are you Aaron Burr, sir?" <laughs> <laughs> and now is the finale. It's the moment that everyone has been waiting for after the magic generator. <laughs> it's the big finale, which is the lovely moment that we get to interview a star, a star of the show. And today we have the beautiful Blythe Montgomery. So I, I've known Blythe since I was maybe nine years old. Uh, we went to the same kind of dance and performing arts uh, company when we were younger. We were in the same choir. There would be days where literally for a couple years, we would, we went to separate schools and we would, on a Monday night, we would have choir. Tuesday night, we'd have drama lessons. Thursday night, we'd have MT. Friday, we'd be helping with the mini choir. We were constantly at this place and we were constantly together. Um, Blythe is an incredible performer. Um, she went to uni and she actually studied Spanish. Um, and then was like, excuse me, I love performing. Uh, I'm getting back into that. So she moved in 2021 um, to London and she's kind of redone some training. Um and now she's got an agent and she's out in the world. Um, so I'm so happy to introduce Blythe. She's absolutely fantastic. And side note, if you are a performer and you're listening to this podcast, we would love to hear from you. And I can hear you down the other end going, but how? How do I get in touch with you? Very, very good question. If you go onto our social media, Sunday on the pod, either on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, and if you click on our link tree, it'll come up with every single link you could possibly need to get in contact with us. And there's a form on there, which we'd love you to fill out, telling us a bit about yourself, just to get in touch. You can also, on that link tree, hear our lovely cast album. So what are you doing? Get off this podcast and click on the link tree. Hello! Hi. <laughs> Welcome, Blythe, to Sunday on the Pod. Welcome to the pod. Thank <laughs> you so much for having me. Um, no problem. Um, we absolutely loved your cover of Secret Love. Um, that will be available on the cast album. We'll have the link in the description below. Um, and you should really check it out because it's absolutely gorgeous. But Stunning. you're here, Blythe. Introduce yourself for the pod. I am Blythe Montgomery. That is my real name. I have not changed it for the stage. <laughs> um, if you can't tell, I am also from Scotland, like Rosa. Um, and I moved down to London in 2021 after the the pandemic. And um, yeah, I actually didn't go to drama school or anything. I came down with a bit of gumption and a bit of you know, hope that I could make it with a few bob in my pockets down to London. <laughs> and um, I am currently training part-time with um, WEMPT, West End Musical Theatre. Shout out to anyone from WEMPT that's listening. Um, and I currently, my muggle job is a nanny um, for a very well-off family in southwest London. <laughs> it's kind of like the, it's kind of like a rom-com um, like plot it's like a, a single girl in London like that's her life you know when she owns like a you know when they they always do like a rom-com in London and it's like they've got a one-bed flat and it's like but they're working in a coffee shop like, <laughs> like you're like how are you buying this like how are you affording any of this 
<laughs> like, how are you getting a prayer every day? <laughs> yeah. And why is your wardrobe, like, incredible? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, my God, Blythe, can you tell the story of how you met your partner, Craig? Because I think it, is, it would be really cute. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, just when you're saying a rom-com, sometimes I wish I was a single girl and I could, like... <laughs> you know make that part of my like traits but um I am not single I'm happily not single um I've been with my boyfriend Craig for oh it'll be eight years this year um and we met when we were just little 16 year olds at um high school um but we actually got together on (laughs) um (laughs) like workshop thing that me and Rosa did at our um Amdram group and um, we did a show in a week and the show was Greece um, Craig played Danny and my younger sister actually played Sandy <laughs> oh my god <laughs> um, and I played Frenchie and yeah we just like got together as really awkwardly at 16 everyone was like oh my gosh like you should go out with him you should tell me like um so I did, and then we're still. They were, yeah, I do have a distinct memory. I played Cha Cha, by the way. If anyone's, if anyone's, uh, yeah. wondering. <laughs> um, which so me and Craig actually danced. We did that hilarious dance mm-hmm. at the. It was super fun. Um, but yeah, it was very romantic. They were. It would be like a tech, and uh, when Craig would have five minutes, he wasn't in a scene. They would be a canoodling a backstage. <laughs> okay, we've uh we've all had our um thrown our two pence in. So what do you like or dislike about Calamity Jane, Blythe? Oh, this was a good question, you know, because it was one of the first, like, golden era musicals that I really got into. Um, So obviously going from, you know, listening to stuff like Chicago and Greece and all of that, then to hear, like, a kind of golden era um, and watch it as well. I grew up with the film with Doris Day. Um. So yeah, the things I like about it was just, it was probably the first one that I saw with a big sort of comedic and really like beautiful female lead. Mm. She was so funny and such a massive character, but she wasn't that typical, like, you know, like the best friend or like the kind of quirky, weird girl. Yeah, I suppose that's quite interesting, isn't it? That like normally in that kind of era of musical theatre like you have a comedy couple but like yeah actually the comedy couple for this show is the main love couple yeah that's quite interesting and actually like Casey and uh, Lieutenant um, Gilbert is they're actually a bit dull like they're, they're a bit boring <laughs> they're yeah. a bit boring yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was just the fact that she was like funny and she danced and she sang it was like oh my gosh like you can actually do it all you don't have to just get really really good at one thing um which you know younger me was like that's great I'm gonna be a triple threat and now I'm like (laughs) oh great that was such a good you know ambition to have (laughs) but um I just love Doris Day as well she's everything she really is everything (laughs) and I also there's one thing that I don't like about it that Obviously, in the end, it kind of gets resolved that he does fall in love with her for herself. But she changes a lot just to get this guy's attention. Yeah. And it's like, girl, you know, you were there the whole time and he was, you just needed to put on a dress and now he's wanting it. Like, no. were you, 
yeah we talked about that didn't we and it was it's kind of that the breakfast club effect that the breakfast club is such a brilliant film and it's sort of about these five completely different characters completely different walks of life a really beautiful film about how they all kind of connect and realize that they're not so different from each other and they can still connect on a humanistic level without having to like conform and then they randomly just throw a little thing in the end there where Alison completely changes and then um I've forgotten his name now falls uh uh what's his name's character the um Charlie Sheen's yeah, Emilio Emilio Estevez's yeah. character mm-hmm. is suddenly like, oh, you've tied your hair back and put on a pink, and I like it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. he does that like really annoying face as well, where he's like struck by her beauty at the end of the Breakfast Club. It really <laughs> annoys me. It's, it's literally stupid face. The whole the whole film is about not conforming to like what yeah. other people's perceptions of you should be, and then she changes for him, which is. But same thing for but, I mean, clarity. That's so typical, though, of like so many like males finally fancying like the girl that they should have been with all along is that like she puts on a bit of makeup, she puts on a nice dress, and they're like, oh my god, she's someone different. It's just like, yeah, like Greece uh, does it as well. Yeah. yeah. At the yeah. end, it's just. What's your favorite number from Clamity Jane? I think, obviously, I love Secret Love. The actual number in terms of the production. I love Windy City. I think that song is just like you can't help but smile when you listen to it. And when she does like the little the dance with the salt, that is just like that is like real musical theater for me when she does that. Yeah, it's like classic Hollywood musical theater. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of soft shoe tap. <laughs> love that. And just the way she like <laughs> that's before she does the big transformation into the dress and she just like commands that whole saloon or whatever it is saloon yeah. i know you never hear of a saloon anymore <laughs> whatever whatever happened to a ye old saloon <laughs> ye old saloon um so Blythe, what is your favorite musical this is completely aside from clavish jane what's your favorite musical and why well, I actually have two. I'm going to be that person because I have one. It's hard. It's I hard like, to be like, just this one. Yeah, I have one that I like tell people is my favourite musical because it's got like a really sentimental reason behind it. And um, I'm a tapper. I'm a tap dancer. So Singing in the Rain is just like, it is really my favourite musical. Like, honestly, it is. But um, Gene Kelly anything that he's ever done I've probably enjoyed so yeah Singing in the Rain is great I'm not crazy about some of the like modern stage adaptations of it though but I love that movie Um, it's quite hard I think to adapt some of those like big movie musicals yeah 100% I mean it's great like I've seen it it was recently I I also work sporadically at the new Wimbledon theatre um, which has a lot of tours coming in and out and the tour came through and you know it like it like rains on the stage it's so cool but yeah it's I love all the songs from it are just great um but my like modern favorite musical is Six the musical I mm. and sometimes I feel bad about saying that because people are like oh that's so basic and 
yeah, do you know what it is? But I just like it. Yeah, I don't think I also like when people are like, oh, it's very basic of you. It's like I'm enjoying something. You don't need to be involved <laughs> with my enjoyment of this thing. Yeah, but also, but also, there's a reason why it's so popular because it's good. So sorry for having taste. Yeah, <laughs> and also like my main reason for it is because in every musical. You should add this to your podcast as one of the questions. There is a song on the soundtrack that everyone will skip. Yeah. In Six the Musical, in my opinion, there's not. I never skip any of the songs on the soundtrack. That's true, actually. That's very so true. true. Yeah, we should do... That's such a good point, though. We should do what's the skippable song. Like, in Wicked, it's anything that the wizard sings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And in, like, Hamilton... Even in Hamilton, there's one. The, like farmer refuted or something you yeah know, the i one, do skip it's just one. in the middle classic yeah i think for columbus jane i'm always skipping higher than a heart oh. is higher than a yeah. heart. oh my god me too uh-huh. me too deeper than a well <laughs> it's just it's just annoying you're like oh we get it <laughs> yeah also like after a soundtrack that is basically just women on it like it is kind yeah. of like oh shut oh, up shut up <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> So Blythe, what do you have coming up that the audience should look out for? Um, so I have recently performed at Mrs. Riot's in Covent Garden, which uh, they have their musical Monday nights um, on a Monday. Oh. I'm due to be back there soon. So <gasps> how exciting. Follow my socials. I will post when I've got that all confirmed. Um, and also with my training that I'm doing, we've got our final showcase coming up in July. Um, it's always great fun. We kind of whiz through a lot of musicals um, and everybody that trains is is great. So if you want to come along, all the info will be up for that soon as well. How exciting. And just before you go, please tell us any burning, unpopular opinions you have on musical theatre. The nastier, the better, but also they can be nice. I don't mind. <laughs> okay, I have a few. She's got a list. Um, <laughs> I can I'm, see yeah, you scrolling. Yeah, <laughs> you guys can't see this. Blake Chapter one. <laughs> <laughs> I've been thinking about this. Like, you know, I feel like this is important things to talk about. But definitely my number one is that there is always a song that you will skip. Apart from in six, the musical, someone will probably come on and say, "Oh, there's a song in six that I skip as well," but that's fine. You can have that opinion. Um, I think in like general in musical theatre, I've put here. Oh, my train of thought was obviously the ADHD was kicking in today. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've put the kind of group of let's face it like straight white men that have written a lot of musicals have created these like standards and like scales and opinions that people then hold all new material to Mm. which is like ridiculous because the people writing this new material are like worlds away from this like group that are like holding on to all of those like big big musicals you know yeah, that, that's such a good point, actually. Yeah, people, like, obviously we all love Stephen Sondheim. Yes. Um, and he is the best, and he's the godfather of modern-day musical theatre, but there is a lot of, like, if you take anything that's, like, Pasek and Paul, 
like people often compare that and it's like we can't really like they're writing two completely different genres of shows yeah. like dear evan hansen and is miles away from like follies or company and not dustin kind of topic but actually in like musical style and in form so it it's yeah. fine it's fine that they're different i think it's easy to kind of latch on to one of those big musicals you know like a lloyd webber a macintosh anything and hold everything else to that like you know standard or high opinion that you have of it but like unfortunately if that's the ones that you love that's great but that's a whole different era of musical theatre compared to what is kind of coming to the surface and everybody had a lot to think about and a lot of time the past couple of years and it's so exciting to see new things but really like disheartening when they're then kind of torn down because everyone goes oh well you know they're not a son time or they're not this or they're not that but they're not actually trying to be that yeah no completely agree that was a good hot take mm. yeah. spicy it's a spicy margarita of a hot take I've been sitting on that one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you so much, Blythe. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, and we hope to see you soon. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. 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 Thank you so much for joining us for our Calamity Jane episode of Sunday on the Pod. We hope you've enjoyed learning about lamps, lesbian nuances analyzing the uh, beautiful secret love and our lovely interview with Blythe. Uh, just a reminder guys that if you want to keep up with us on socials we're at Sunday on the pod on Instagram and Twitter and we have a Facebook page Sunday on the pod and I do quizzes once a month so please <laughs> get involved. Um, just a reminder as well that on all our social bios we have a, a link to our link tree which includes applications to become a guest performer, which we really encourage you to do. Um, there's a link to our cast album playlist, um, and we'll hopefully be putting up just kind of resources and, and fun, interesting things as we see them. So definitely go and check that out. And just like that, we've been Sunday on the pod with... Whip. Crack. Away. Bye. Bye. Bye.